Welcome to the Preservation Station, a podcast series produced by Make Every Media. On Preservation Station, we focus on the ever-shifting cultural arts landscape in Austin, Texas, and in particular, the plight of our dwindling number of performance venues in the face of gentrification, funding issues, municipal red tape. Today we'll be talking with Lisa Sheps, the founder and co-artistic director of Austin's Ground Floor Theater. As you'll hear, Ground Floor is a theater that's still very much in the process of establishing itself, overcoming major obstacles, and struggling on. Lisa gets real about the challenges facing new arts institutions, showing the tarnish on the brass tacks that it takes to deal with landlord mismanagement, city bureaucracy, and finding funding when all you want to do is make this city the arts mecca it claims to want to be. We'll get into all of that and how Lisa came to attempt something as crazy as starting a new theater in the first place in this episode of The Preservation Station. David Fruchter, and it's a pleasure to serve as host of this episode of Make Every Media's Preservation Station. I'm sitting in for our usual host and dear leader, Michael Furstenfeld, because for this episode, we sent Michael into the field to have a conversation with Lisa Sheps inside the very ground floor theater whose triumphs and travails they would discuss. And we're trying something new with this episode as well. We filmed this interview. So if you would like to watch the conversation between Lisa and Michael, you can head over to Make Every Media's YouTube channel and see it there in a more extended version with some extremely entertaining title cards. Just offering more options for your preservation station consuming pleasure as part of our mission to, indeed, make every media. I was particularly delighted to step back into the hosting shoes for this episode because I used to work with Lisa Sheps as a fellow programmer and radio show host on KOOP Radio, Co-op Radio, Community Radio here in Austin. Lisa was a vibrant presence at Co-op and a boon to the radio community, as indeed she is and has been to Austin's theater community through her radio show, Offstage and On the Air, and through her own Ground Floor Theater. Along the way, Lisa developed some strong opinions about, among other things, nonprofits. We'll hear how she earned those opinions the hard way as we go to Lisa Shep's conversation with Michael Furstenfeld here on the Preservation Station. I now know everything there is to know about owning or running a nonprofit because I have I have started four of them. Four nonprofits. I think four. Nobody owns a nonprofit, so I don't own this theater or a theater company. Yeah. I run it. I can, in theory, be fired from my own theater that I created. And I learned that uh, when I started my first theater. Can we can we start there? I, I want to go way back. Uh, Dude, like, I am an open book. Amazing. That's Thank you so much As for being fact, here. matter of fact, that was my sorority name. This is Lisa Open Book Sheps that we're here with uh, on the Make Every Media podcast. And we're in her beautiful ground floor theater, which has just reopened a few months ago. And there's lots of things planned here. But to start things off, I want to go way back and I want you to tell me sort of your history with the arts. Yeah, I started in the arts and theater when I was nine years old. I was a quitter. I started everything and quit. We, Our family were swimmers. We were all on the swim team. I uh, quit that. I played judo. Quit that. My parents sent me to the Alley Theater Merry-Go-Round Acting School. In Houston. In Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. So this was in 19... 19- 
67. I went through that three-year program. I love this theater thing. I got, mm -hmm. I caught the bug. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting here uh, at my house at 11 years old going, well, how do I continue this? Yeah. Well, I'm so proud of myself about this. So I got out uh, the phone book. I don't know if you remember what those are, but I got out the phone book yeah. and I looked at theaters and I called at 11 years old, all the theaters in the phone book. And wow. I said, do you have any auditions? And I called this one theater called Studio 7, and they said, yes, we're doing a production of Tom Sawyer. Uh, we're auditioning tonight. Yeah. And I went down there, and I was in the chorus of Tom Sawyer, and I started with this company called Studio 7 in this school. And a woman named Chris Wilson, who taught me more than anything I know, I was in school with Patrick Swayze, and a lot of people that have done really well. His wife, Lisa Hapanimi, was in school with me. So Chris Wilson bred a whole bunch of really great theater people. And then it just went on from there. So I've been doing theater from nine years old on. In the course of their conversation, Lisa and Michael dug in a bit more to Lisa's history as a young adult in the theater world, trying to make it in New York City, switching from performing to stage managing, and getting all the way to Broadway doing that, then finding a new way to make a living in the theatrical arts, working for the private sector, something that may be of interest to any starving theater artists out there who might be listening, making something called industrials. You can hear all about that and more by checking out the video podcast of this interview with Lisa Sheps of Ground Floor Theater over on the Make Every Media YouTube channel. Now let's check back in with Lisa as she leaves New York, makes a quick stop over in Chicago, and then hits the ground running here in Austin. Newcomers to our fair city, or those who have ever been newcomers, and that's most of us, will be especially interested to hear about Lisa's early networking experiences in the Austin theater world, and then when that networking seemed to fail her, at least temporarily, we'll also hear about the rise and fall of Lisa's first theater space here in town, which despite its eventual demise, proved that even if you can't realize all your dreams, you can at least put on some great shows in the meantime. I moved from New York to Chicago, opened up an industrial company there, and did theater on the side in Chicago. And then I sold that company in 2001 and uh, moved to Austin and opened up my first theater. And since 2001, it's basically been theater all the way. Hang on. So uh -huh. you moved from Chicago to... Chi-town. To Austin and immediately, like started a nonprofit within a year yeah and did, had you had any experience doing nonprofit stuff in only Chicago? as I do social justice work oh. uh, and I was a board member and all those things I had not done nonprofit art spaces huh. so when I got here there was a group called I think it was called the nonprofit group this couple that helped nonprofits get uh -huh. started and they they helped me out so you moved to Austin to be closer to family. I moved to Austin, and a mutual friend introduced me to Stuart Moulton, uh -huh. who now lives in New York, but he then lived here, and he still currently runs Austin Cabaret Theater. We all went and had uh, dinner and drinks, and in my drunkenness, I said to Stuart, do you think Austin could support another theater? And he said, yes. <laughs> and so I decided to open up a theater. It has been a dream of mine forever. So I bought a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall wow. uh, on the east side, 12th and Cedar. 
and my plan was to do a major renovation of it. It had very low ceilings. And I worked with Richard Weiss, who's a wonderful architect here in town, mm -hmm. who also is the lead architect for Alamo Draft House. Oh. I had a plan. We we're going to raise the roof up and then add a whole other section on one side with a little uh, miniature fly space. And we're going to make a little jewel box proscenium theater. Mm -hmm. And we went through all the planning process. We went through all the permit process. We had started demolition on one section when I had finally had to come to the realization that I couldn't finance it. Mm. So I stopped it, spent about, oh, I'm going to say $50,000 to put back the stuff that we had started to get rid oh, of. Yeah. And then I just used that little space as a little theater. And it was, it was charming. And we did some really good stuff. I opened with Marvin's room. And we were open for uh, about a year, a little over a year and a half. And then I just needed... Uh, money personally cash yep. and I had bought that building for cash and what I learned was you cannot borrow against commercial real estate so mm. I needed to cash out so I had to sell the building so that was my first theater and it was called play theater group play theater group and it was a, a very clever it was play lowercase p with an exclamation point after play so it was play uh -huh. theater group nice <laughs> <laughs> A beautiful dream, alive only for a moment, like every dream, I suppose. Lisa learned some hard lessons from that experience and its aftermath, both about the nature of nonprofits and the occasional insularity of the theater community here in Austin. She also faced the first roadblock in dealing with city of Austin bureaucracy, but it was to be far from the last. The only reason to be a nonprofit is so that you can get donations that are tax exempt, mm. tax free for other people. Other than that, in my opinion, there's no reason to do it. Nobody owns a nonprofit, so I don't own this theater or a theater company. Yeah. So I run it. I can, in theory, be fired from my own theater that I created. Because you're a nonprofit. Because we're a nonprofit. And I learned that when I started my first theater, you could be fired. Your board could fire you. In that case, I owned the building. So. I didn't put the building in the nonprofit's name because if I had, then I would no longer own that building. I, I didn't get a lot of um, support from the Austin theater community. Yeah. Uh, I had actually went to, I decided that I was going to go to all the different venues. So I went to the Rudmex. I went to Arts on Real. Mm -hmm. I went to Vortex. I went to, I didn't know about Hyde Park at the time, so I didn't go to <laughs> Hyde Park. But I went to all the East Side theaters. I had this dream of starting an alliance called Asta, mm. East Side Theater Alliance. Bonnie over at the Vortex was wonderful. She spent a lot of time with me. She welcomed me in. She uh, enveloped me with love and said, we're really happy to have you. Nobody else would talk to me. I applied for funding through the city, and of the 300 people that applied, only two didn't get it. We were one of the people that didn't oh, get it. Wow. So I didn't feel, I felt really, really shitty. So yeah. I closed thinking, I'm like, done, it's it. Uh, that's the quitter in me. Lisa calls herself a quitter, but it seems to us here at Make Every Media that her story is one of grit and determination coming back again and again after a series of potentially devastating disasters. However, to take the next step in her career as an Austin theatrical impresario, Lisa was going to have to find or create her own community here. In the end, she did that through joining KOOP Radio, Austin's community radio station. 
But shortly after that, I got involved with co-op radio. Tell us about your show real quick. Yeah. Off Stage and on the Air is a show on co-op radio, which is on 91.7. We also podcast it, so you can get it on iTunes and other things, Stitcher and stuff like that. Nice. I think we're on iHeartRadio, I'm not sure. Mm. But it's a show I've been doing for almost 10 years now, and we it's sort of a laugh riot. We have a lot of fun. We talk about theater around the country and around the world, mostly New York, but also Chicago, London. And then we highlight some local companies. Mm -hmm. That's what's over terrestrial radio on 91.7 FM. Uh, and then after the show, we do what we call backstage at Offstage, where I'll come in and after you come and talk to me about your show and tell me all about your show, we'll come in and I'll learn a little bit more about Michael Furstenfeld mm -hmm. instead of the show you're doing. Yeah. And then that's part of the podcast. Nice. Do you think that has had a huge influence on your ability to network in town and grow your own personal community? Or? Yeah, definitely. It's fun when I get recognized. Yeah. Like my voice is rather unique mm -hmm. uh, and I'll get people going I recognize your voice do you do a radio show I just that makes me all warm inside Aww. space started to be an issue yeah and I remember the day it was uh, Christy Moore and Ken Webster came on my show uh, to talk about Frontera Fest mm. and we were talking in the lobby before the show and they were just Christy was just talking about how we need more theater space here and this was actually before Salvage Vanguard and Off Center had the problems they were having right so but there's still at that time there was only four or five spaces yeah Arts and Real ceased to exist as a theater space so there just weren't that many and we have like over a hundred companies yeah so I was looking for somewhere to put my life savings. <laughs> so, so that was the catalyst that said, you know what, I'm gonna do it. And yeah. two months later, I signed the lease on this place. From radio right back into theater, once again spurred by a single conversation igniting or reigniting a lifelong dream. This time, as Lisa charges full throttle, which seems to be her only speed, back into creating a theater, she draws on Austin connections for everything from picking a name, to designing a logo, to becoming her directing partner in the whole enterprise. Lisa's been through some changes, and so has her place in the city. She shared some of her personal journey with Michael, and how it's helped her to understand the nature of community, and what the theater community of Austin needs the most. My motto in life is jump off a cliff, sprout wings on your way down. Yeah. What that means is I act first, plan later, mm -hmm. which is good. I mean, I never would have done this if I did the research, mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. So you opened up in 2014. In reality, this theater's production company has been in existence since 2004. Cool. Because we just re-energized play theater group. Right. As a matter of fact, when I came back in, I was going to call it Play Theater Group. That mm -hmm. was my intention because I had all the marketing materials, still had the stationery. <laughs> but it, the name didn't fit with our mission. Mm. And our mission is to produce works by and for underrepresented communities. Mm -hmm. So tying in the social justice There angle. you go, yeah. And Play Theater Group just didn't, didn't work. And I forgot yeah. who was it that told me. It might have been Shannon Grounds. I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people yeah. because one of the things I wanted to make sure I didn't do was insulate myself away from the other theater communities. So before yeah. I did this, I talked to a lot of people. And I believe Shannon was the one that said, she said, I just got to tell you, I have a problem with the name. And I went, yep, you're right. Mm. So we immediately did a DBA for Ground Floor Theater. So now 
we're ground floor theater. But the entity, the, the 501c3, has been in existence since 2004. When I first decided to do this, I, I didn't want to do it alone. Yeah. And I needed, I wanted somebody that was better at fund development than I am. So I basically talked to a few people that were interested. Patty Neff Tiven was the one that is partnered with me in the group. She's co-director of Ground Floor Theater. Mm -hmm. But I talked to everybody. So I made a lot of meetings with people. For instance, Rudy Ramirez, mm -hmm. newly anointed as best director in Austin That's by right. the Austin Chronicle. Uh, he serves on my board, but he and I were sitting there talking and coming up with names for theaters. And he came up with Ground Floor Theater. Nice. So then I did a, a logo myself and sent it off to Derek Kalluri, who you know as well, uh -huh. and he made it better. So nice. it's so so what is really cool about this theater is it's not just me. It is this conglomeration of everybody. And I'm so grateful to Shannon and Rudy and Derek and Patty and everybody that helped me before we ever broke ground on this place. It's interesting hearing that story versus the story of play, you mm -hmm. know, where you come in and it's like why doesn't anyone want to help? Yeah, and now, I just busted in. Yeah. I also had that New York kind of, sure. I am so better than you kind yeah, of thing. Right. And that's such a, that's such an unattractive quality it's of It's interesting, mine. yeah. Uh, even though we all know that I'm better than everybody. No, I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> it's in your voice, you know, it's no, in the accent. No, I'm really not, though. Uh, I went through a whole bunch of therapy from around 1996 or seven through 2000 and four or five. So I did a lot of self-exploration and sort of came to terms with my, uh, my arrogance, you know, my ego and all that stuff that I had and still have. Mm -hmm. uh, but also able to look at my experience with Play Theater Group and opening it up and being able to look outside of myself and seeing how wrong I was to build these walls around mm. myself and how that's not going to help me or help my desire to look at this community because of the, one of my tangential desires, uh, it's not really even tangential. The Austin theater community is a very fragmented community. We work in silos. Many of us think that we're in competition with one another and we're absolutely not. Rudmech's success is my success and I have no desire to look as competition to any of these people. When Salvage Vanguard was going through its problems, I had people coming up to me saying, that's gonna be really great for you guys. I said, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. What would be great for me is if three Salvage Vanguards opened up right next door to me. Yep. That would be great for yep. me. So part of it was looking at the lack of success that first time and just being so insulated to really trying to reach out. It's a conscious effort to really reach out and try to be open uh, and really look at the, everybody else's successes or my successes and working with people instead of uh, against them. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Preservation Station podcast, a project of Make Every Media. This episode, we're talking with Lisa Sheps of Austin's Ground Floor Theater in conversation with Michael Furstenfeld. Let's hear Lisa lay out her goals and visions for Ground Floor. I really would love this place to have a community feel. I would love this place to be a place where people can come and make art. We want to be like the other theaters that are a home for people that cradle them and let people make art. Well, I mean, to me, it seems like you're already filling that, that void because you've already 
done some festivals here. Mm-hmm. My first time here was doing the One Minute Play Festival, and that so had a fun. very community feel. The 1448 was just a couple 1448 weeks ago. 1448 was amazing. That was, like was amazing. a whole other level. Yep. And you're doing Frontera Fest, right? Yep. January. And just heard about that. It's already feeling like yeah. that, like a piece of that void. What I want to make sure is that we're going to have to look at programming that really brings in some of the stuff that's happening in, in days that aren't Thursday through Sunday. Yeah. And times that aren't 7 to 11 p.m. Right. We got a lot of stuff that we can do and a lot of stuff that we can give back to the community. I really want to serve our, our neighbors here. So there's lots of programming we want to do. Our vision and our mission vision statement, our vision is theater for everyone. Mm-hmm. And we don't want price to be a barrier. And most of the theaters here in town say that. And all of the theaters here in town do a pay what you wish night. And if people ask, I think they'd probably just let them in. But we said just come. When it's all said and done, when we looked at our average ticket price, it was still a decent amount. We only had one person that said, I don't want to pay anything. And we yeah. said, come on in. We don't judge. Someday we'll get, you know, a house of 100 people and all say we don't want to pay. Maybe. That's the risk we take. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I mean, because that really is making it more accessible. Yeah. And and it's a great thing. If we can fundraise to have Always Free, which is a model that Fusebox does. Yeah. If we had the funding to do that, we would always make it free. Our, Our desire is to fundraise so that other companies that fall within our mission statement get a reduced rate mm-hmm. rent we're already probably just our our book rate for nonprofits is probably half what the market rate should be mm-hmm. but the idea is we want people to see theater our first year we weren't going to produce anything we were concentrating on the venue mm. Uh, we ended up producing a couple of things. We did a co-production with Tilt, which is where these cups come from. Beautiful. Tilt Performance Group, awesome group with differently abled performers. I remember watching that first production. It was called The Flip Side, and going, because our mission, producing works by and for underrepresented communities, it's a little scary. And I was, you know, I was always wondering whether it's, whether it was the right move, hmm. you know, from a, business standpoint or whatever standpoint but watching that show mm. with a whole troupe of differently abled actors and i remember sitting you know on the side there uh, off audience left and going fucking a yeah our mission statement is right on the money working with groups like rkjb productions african-american mm-hmm. uh, company spectrum all these companies that are fit within our mission statement. When these things happen and I see them, I go, yeah, it's really cool. And then when we have experiences like we just had with 1448, Mm -hmm. when the theater is alive for 24 hours a day for Mm -hmm. several days, that's also, I I don't think you can duplicate that feeling very easily. Yeah. It's a noble vision that they have there over at Ground Floor Theater, and they are well on their way to realizing it. But the path to get here has not been easy. I I don't know how much you want to talk about the the in between time. I'm ready to talk about. All right, it. I, I yeah. have the, we're an open book, and yeah. and all through the process we were an open book. In January of 2016. Right after a Tech for Frontier Fest long fringe, uh, a person with the city showed up 
and shut us down. Mm. So we were shut down for, we thought it'd be a few weeks. It was 20 months. Wow. We just reopened. So this is a really long way of answering your question. We're back to square one. What had happened was we did not have a certificate of occupancy. Oh. We did not know that. Our uh, landlord, with all the best intentions, said, you know, we're going to get you in here. We'll circle back, get the certificate of occupancy after the fact, hopefully get you uh, get you grandfathered in hmm. so you don't have to meet current code. Okay. That was his plan. Right. Uh, he never circled back. Hmm. So therefore, we didn't have a certificate of occupancy. So they shut us down and said, you have to bring everything up to super code which is expensive, which we still haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we got rid of the things that were violating the code, Yeah. but we are now about to enter a, a capital campaign because we don't have risers here anymore. Yeah. And we don't have our tech booth here anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to replace both of those things. But the other thing that, that took place was we had to actually go back to the very beginning and pretend to build the place again. So we had to go through the process of getting the permits to build, even though it was already all built. And that's a whole planning process. That in itself took six months, seven months, and this was all the landlords doing. So the landlord bucked up to their responsibility. But what really pisses me off is the city could have said, all right, we're going to give you a temporary certificate of occupancy so you don't close down while you do all this work. Because we all said, we'll do the work. They refused to do anything. They would not budge. The city was so unhelpful in this. And by the city, I'm talking about the permitting part of the city. Yeah. So we talked to Steve Adler, who is a personal contact of mine. We talked to Pia Rianterio, who is our council person. We talked to Michelle Polgar and the whole Arts Commission. I talked to a whole bunch of people in economic development. We had a lot of people advocating on our behalf, which guess what? Just pisses the permit people off more. Right. Yeah. And they just, they dug in and said, screw you, F you. Wow. And they were intractable and wouldn't work with us at all. And we said, and we didn't say it literally, but we basically said, you know, you're not hurting our landlord. Yeah. You're hurting us. And they said, we don't care. So when we finally did get to a point where we were close to getting, they cut us no slack. Mm. They, we were, we were down to things like, like making sure particular signs were there. Mm. They wouldn't even let us open up. That Everything had to be spick and span wow. before they'd allow us to open up. And that took 20 months. Wow. And it was such an awful experience. And I'm so angry with the city yeah. for, for being that way. What a struggle. Kudos to Lisa Sheps and the whole Ground Floor Theater community for persevering through that logistical nightmare and getting the theater back on its feet, though clearly they both need and deserve our continuing support, and you can find out how to be a part of it all over at groundfloortheater.org. That's theater with an R-E. Going through that whole frustrating process, though, has given Lisa an inside view of what needs to be improved in the way the city handles art spaces, and at least the first steps in how to get there. Let's hear what she has to say. There's a lot of us doing a lot of talking right now. I believe that nonprofit arts organizations, and specifically nonprofit arts organizations, should be held to a different standard. So, for instance, if it is okay to grandfather wooden seating risers in as it was for 
at the time, Salvage Vanguard, Off Center, City, Austin Playhouse, every other theater in this city in this market, then it's not really about safety, right? It's mm. about something else. Mm-hmm. So we should, be, we should be able to glom onto that, even though we're in a newly renovated building, mm-hmm. because we're a nonprofit arts. Or if they can't do that, they great, okay, we need to get you up to current code. We know you can't afford it. Here's a grant. Yeah. Or let us help you. Let us tie you with some funders that might be able to help. Nothing. So for a city that talks about itself as an arts mecca, I feel they they are giving lip service to the arts. They really only care about currently arts institutions that have a a long history here a bigger Mm -hmm. footprint they do not want new and emerging arts here or they don't want to support it even if you look at the cultural arts funding we had to do strings to get it because because we really incorporated in 2004 we were able to show history Mm -hmm. but really you're not able to even apply for funding with the city of austin cultural arts core funding until you've had three years of history yeah so they're not doing anything to help you yeah uh to to push you forward they're going get situated make sure you're you're viable and mm-hmm. got a good history then we'll talk to you right and i think we should be a city that helps artists come together i talk about i'll get off my bitter bandwagon right now five six years ago there was one particular theater here that got a six million dollar grant mm. uh, not a grant six million dollar bond package uh six million dollars to this one theater mm-hmm. who arguably may not need the help mm-hmm. they got six million dollars but just imagine what this city would be like that instead of giving one theater company six million dollars they gave 24 theater companies a quarter of a million dollars yep so suddenly we have 24 companies that have an infusion of cash and the, and you say you can't buy property with this you have to make art with this mm-hmm. can you imagine what this city would look like six years later yeah. from a theater standpoint it's amazing but i think the city has a long way to go not only the city but also the citizens of right. austin to be a real theater town if they plan on marketing the city as an arts mecca, yeah. then it would be worthwhile for the city to make investments in that art. And with that clarion call to action from Lisa Sheps of Austin's Ground Floor Theater, this episode of the Preservation Station comes to an end. Again, check out Make Every Media's YouTube channel for a more extended video cut of this interview, and go to groundfloortheater.org to check out some of their groundbreaking work, including There and Back, a play by Raul Garza, running from August 9th to the 25th, Landfallen, The Lost and Found, a dance theater performance featuring Jason Phelps and Marjorie Siegel, running from September 3rd to September 8th, and coming this fall, Some Humans Were Harmed in the Making of This Show, a drag, puppetry, and self-help testimony play. For ticket information, or to find out more about the Ground Floor Theater, again, please visit groundfloortheater.org. That's theater with an R-E at the end. And this has been your host, David Fruchter, with another episode of The Preservation Station, a project of Make Every Media. Our sincerest thanks to Lisa Sheps and the Ground Floor Theater for hosting and participating in this conversation. 
We at Make Every Media would be very interested in talking with any other theater producers, company members, or other stakeholders in the ongoing saga that is the Austin Art Space Crisis. If you have a perspective on the matter you'd like to share, please do get in touch. You can find our contact info, as well as past episodes of the podcast, and links to our other theatrical media at makeeverymedia.com. Music in this episode provided by Poddington Bear. This project is sponsored by the Austin Creative Alliance and supported in part by the Cultural Arts Division of the City of Austin Economic Development Department. Find out more about what's happening in the arts community this week at nowplayingaustin.com. <laughs>